Ernest Hemingway said, I don't like writing. I like having written. This is one of the things that our guest today, Nick Velasquez, talks about. He is the author of Learn, Improve, Master. It's all about learning and doing. And the point of that Hemingway quote is sometimes we don't like doing something, but we really like having accomplished it. And that's kind of where we start and where we get to uh, with Nick. You gave us a little more than an hour and a wide ranging conversation. Uh, so we're going to get to that in just a minute, but Hey, Kelvin, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well, Mr. Shear. Yeah. You in here walking around freely on my own power, breathing and stuff. Skies are blue, no earthquakes, hurricanes, or tornadoes. Cooking with gas here. Good. Yeah, um, I, I, I like cooking with fire better than gas, but I'm good. <laughs> um, you know, we okay, had that little... Peggy, what can I say? We had that little tropical storm roll through here last week, but all we got was a little bit of rain. I know they got a lot worse. Up closer to you, actually, it came a little further inland. It did, but it went it went closer to New York and didn't do too much to us here. We were we yeah, did a little stayed, rain, but nothing. Uh, yeah, New yeah, York. That, that was us too. It was just a little bit of rain and uh, New York without a power for a couple of days, and they still may be. I don't know. But. Yeah, New Jersey was the same way. Massachusetts had some outages. Yeah, um, so we are lucky. Um, yeah. Blue skies, high heat. It's what we do. Mm. Low and slow here in Savannah. There you go. <laughs> slow Vanna, as it were. Uh, cool. We're brought to you today by Vitamin K Daily. Get your daily dose of positive from the Prince of Positive himself. VitaminKDaily.com. Sign up for four weeks free. After that, $24.95 a year. Get that before the price goes up. Because there are rumors that it will go up. There are rumors. Yes. There are rumors. So, so again, vitaminkdaily.com uh, for that. Uh, make sure you hit the show notes for, for this episode because we covered a lot, uh, and you're gonna want I mean, you're gonna want a link to Nick's book anyway. Uh, but there are all of other books in here as well, and uh, and some tools. So. Um, let's let's play some music, and on the other side of this, you'll hear us talking to Nick Velasquez. So why don't we start by um, having you introduce yourself to our audience and uh, sure. talk a little bit about your mission and uh, importantly, why that's your mission. Sure. So my name is Nick Velasquez. Uh, I'm obsessed with learning. And I began this passion because I was taking on hobbies all the time and I wanted to learn new things. Everything has its own magic. Everything has something fascinating to learn. But I was frustrated by how long it took from learning about something to learning how to do it. So you can learn a lot about painting and then necessarily know how to paint. And that led me into this obsession of finding the methods to optimize learning. And in the process, I discovered that most of the time we're just seeing the end result of things. We're seeing the performance. We see a quarterback playing a championship game or we see a virtuoso cellist playing a concert. And because we're seeing the end result, then we assume that we don't have what it takes, that we do not have those capabilities, that we could never be that ourselves. But we're not seeing the method behind it. So it's like watching a magician doing a card trick. And so magician advantages a card, makes it reappear in an impossible location. As a spectators, we see the end result and we're amazed by it. 
we're not looking at the mechanics that made that possible. But if we could peek behind the illusion, we would see that there is a process that we could follow too. So the idea and my mission is to show people that there is a method to get to those results that anyone can learn. We could all learn, improve, and master any skill. Learning is our greatest, our greatest powers as human beings. We can all get there, but we need to look beyond that performance. Performance. We need to look beyond the glamour of the finished product and learn the method behind it. So just to, to break that down a little bit, um, you, you're captivated by something, whether it's actually a magic trick or, mm-hmm. or the quarterback or watching somebody lay flooring. You know, I'm, I'm looking at redoing my, my garage actually. So that's something that yeah. I'm, I'm involved right now. And you, we see the, we see the floor. I have no idea how to do that. Let me just hire somebody, but mm-hmm. maybe there's, maybe there's a way for me to do it. You know, maybe there's a way in there. Uh, you, you said to, you, you looked at optimizing that learning. So, you know, I can sit there and I could spend, I'd go down a YouTube rabbit hole and just watch people mm-hmm. lay flooring for 20 hours. And then I'd have to practice and, you know, get pieces and, and it might be three years before I get that done. Uh, how, how did you look at optimizing learning and how did you um, get to that, uh, you know, get to that point? What are some of the tricks you learned along the way? Sure. I'm going about your example. Well, if, doing floors is something that interests you and it's Mm -hmm. a skill that you want to learn, then for sure you go for it and then you learn the process. We don't need to learn to do absolutely everything. So the point is the things that matter most to us. And I feel bad for some people that maybe have some frustrated dreams that they wanted to play guitar and then someone told them they didn't have talent for it and they believed it. And in reality, talent doesn't play that big of a role. It gives them the edge, but it's not the bulk of peak performance. Mm -hmm developing skills. So going back to what my mission would be is showing people that they can learn the skills that they always wanted to learn and be good at them. Um, and there are different ways to do it. So the learning process is divided into different mental processes at the same time. So one part is understanding what you're doing. Another one is memorizing. Then the biggest bulk is obviously practice. And there's some strategies to optimize your practice. And then you have, how do you improve your skills, which is mostly about gathering feedback and using that feedback to improve. And lastly, is if you want to take the path of mastery, there is a different mental attitude that you need to have. The process doesn't change very much. You're doing the same type of practice, you're doing the same type of study, but it's the long-term commitment and then doing the work every day. And that's what usually divides someone that is not a master to someone who becomes a master. So in, in your process, are you saying that simply we can learn it or are you offering kind of a shortcut which is a word i hate to use because it makes people think oh i don't really have to learn it i can just pretend i know it and do it but or are you offering a shortcut to learning you know the process that's a good question and the way that i see it is that i'm offering a way to optimize the process so the idea is to maximize results not to minimize effort. So usually shortcuts or hacks, they're sold in a way of like, do less effort and get the same result or get a result with a minimal amount of effort. What I propose is you're keeping the effort steady, but then your results are going to be exponential. It's like for that person that's already training, that is already practicing Mm -hmm. and want to take it to the next level. It's like, here's how you optimize the process. But there are no ways to skip the process. We all have to go through that. And... An everyday example is like uh, fitness. So everyone's looking for the easiest, fastest way to get in shape. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you keep jumping from method to method, you'll never find a perfect one because it doesn't exist. But let's imagine for a second that there is a perfect method. Even if you found the perfect method, you're still going to have to diet and exercise in some form. Mm-hmm. Most likely both. That's the essence. And you cannot escape that process. And it's the same for learning anything. You're going to have to study and practice. There are ways to optimize those steps so you get more results, but you can't escape it. And everyone had to go through it. Even the geniuses, the so-called prodigies from history, like Mozart wasn't born playing piano. He still had to learn it. Everyone has to learn. 
everyone has to go through the same process. So for some people, they like to find the hacks. But what I want to propose is ways to optimize the process to get more results, to maximize your effort instead of to minimize it. And there's a subtle difference there. Okay. And so, so if I can try to reword it um, just to, to understand it better, mm -hmm. uh, what you're saying is you're going to, you're still going to need to practice and, and you know, we can, we can talk guitar. I understand that that yes. um, particular example is, uh, is I, I play in a, a self-taught um, what you're looking to do is take most of the time when you're practicing, take most of that time and effort, have it mean something to move your craft forward rather than you just taking the time and hoping that it's all working in the right direction. You know, sometimes you can, you can play for hours and not actually get any improvement. All you've done is, is practice, um, which is also important and it can be fun if it's a thing that you want to be fun but if it doesn't move you forward it's not heading you toward mastery am i kind of getting it there yeah so part of it is uh, many people don't really practice they just do repetition so if you're playing the same <laughs> song that you already know over and over that's not practice <laughs> you're not trying to get better you're just repeating what you know so that's one of the things of how you optimize the process is like practice it's demanding you need to be pushing your limits you need to be stretching. You need to be going out of your comfort zone. Otherwise, you're not improving. And it's okay if you just like playing guitar and playing the same song. That's fine if that's your goal. But if your goal is to become a better guitar player, then the process is different. You can't just sit down and play the same songs you know. You need to take songs that are more challenging. And that feels frustrating. So one of the biggest problems is that for the past few years, learning has been portrayed as something that needs to be fun. And... That's not true. It doesn't have to be. It right. can be fun, but it's not required to be so. Learning sometimes is frustrating. It's difficult. It's challenging, even boring. Um, the process is not fun all the time. So a better word is enthusiasm. Like we should approach learning with this idea that we want to go through the process, even when it's difficult. And because it's difficult, that's also why it matters. Uh, if it were easy, everyone would do it and it would mean nothing. And sometimes it's just that that path of, I know this is challenging and I'm getting better just little by, li by little. It's like playing video games. If it's too easy, you don't want to play it. It's, it's the challenge of becoming better because of it that makes it fun and engaging. How do you find the right amount of challenge? So there are two ways. Um, the most famous, this famous author that wrote Flow, he talks about going 10% outside of your comfort zone, which is very abstract. But the point he wants to make is that it doesn't take much. Now, another uh, major researching, uh, researcher in learning, he says it is the point where you get things right between 50 and 80% of the time. So let's say you're trying to play a new song in guitar and you keep messing up, but you do get some notes right, about 60%, 70% of them, then you're pushing enough. So if you take the metronome and you accelerate it and you're still making some mistakes, but you kind of have it under control, that's good. If you push the metronome, too much, and now you, you can't even play any note. Like, that's not okay. You, you push it way too far. So, yeah, that's right. That's a so you want to make it a little hard. You want to make it hard enough that you're making mistakes, but not so hard that you don't understand how you're going to get there. Yeah, not so hard that it becomes overwhelming. And if I'm trying to kick a football, you know, if I'm trying to learn how to kick a field goal in, in American football, yes. you know, don't start. Don't start at the 40-yard line and try to exactly. kick it through. Maybe, maybe, try, maybe just try hitting the door. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> From across the room, yeah. So, <laughs> it's progressive. So, Learning is progressive. So what is the most challenging thing that you've, you've taught yourself that maybe you originally thought you wouldn't learn? That's a bizarre question. but I think Lang Lang Languages. Languages have been languages. Yes, have been tough for me. So I my first language is Spanish. I speak English, I speak French, and just a little bit of Japanese. Mm -hmm. And but the thing is that learning languages has been challenging because I don't I don't like the process. So I want the result. I want to be able to speak Japanese, 
but I do not want to study Japanese, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you don't enjoy the process, then it becomes challenging, not because you don't have the capabilities, but because you're not willing to put in as much time and, and effort into it. So to put in a different example, let's say you want to play guitar, but your dream is just playing live. And then you hate doing scales and practicing alone. Like You're never going to get there. You need to also not necessarily fall in love with the process, but embrace the process. Mm-hmm. If you don't like playing scales, if you don't like playing alone, if you don't like doing exercises and developing your skill in the instrument, you won't get to the point of playing live because you, you will never have the skill. So I think that's why languages has been challenging for me because when I learned those languages, English and French, it was a need. I needed to learn those languages for my life. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that I took on for pleasure. So I felt like the process was a drag. I didn't want to go to class. I didn't want to do the exercises. I didn't want to do the practice. And that's why it's been challenging. It's always complicated if you don't feel good about what you're doing. So what was it to flip the switch in your mindset? It didn't. I just took with it. <laughs> and I learned it. <laughs> Which a, part, a great part of learning hey, is you live that. somewhere where You're they speak a lot of French. Time. You got to know a French. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just I just keep going to classes. <laughs> Even if you don't like it and then you know you have to do it, you keep going to class and eventually you learn it. It's just mm-hmm. that it's not as enjoyable and you're not learning, not going to learn it as quickly if you don't, if you don't enjoy the process. Okay. Yeah. But a part of it is just that. It's just putting in the time. Look, I work out almost every day and I've been doing so for maybe two years. And there's not a day that I wake up like, oh, goody, I get to work out today. This is so cool. No, <laughs> no, it's always a drag. <laughs> it's, on, it's on the calendar, so you're going to do it. So yeah, and you do it. And then you see your body reacting to that and then you get in shape. It's like, well, I didn't enjoy at the beginning. And usually the resistance is just at the beginning. Once you're doing it, you're into it. It's like jumping into a cold pool. Yeah. You don't want to do it, but once you do it, like, okay, I'm here and I'm, I'm having fun. Yeah. But never before working out, I feel like this is so good. I'm going to go work out. No, but I know it's something that I want to do and there is the reward of having done it. Mm-hmm. So I remember the words of Hemingway he used to say, I don't like writing. I like having written. <laughs> <laughs> there is a pleasure. of Good, good, good point there. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> And sticking to your own goals and to the promises you make to yourself. So there is a different kind of satisfaction that doesn't necessarily come from the process itself, but from having completed the process. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. have to fast forward to the end result and uh, go back to, oh, look what I did in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of training for a half marathon and, uh, and it is it's hot and it's humid here and yeah, there are just some days it's like well miles on the calendar i'm doing those miles i i understand it's 97 degrees and um, and i'm supposed to go five well if i gotta walk half of it i walk half of it mm-hmm. but you know when i'm done i've been done <laughs> and you feel great about it yeah and sometimes exactly. it's just that it's just doing it yeah pushing yourself to go out there. There is this, uh, if you guys follow uh, mixed martial arts, by any chance, the uh, one of the greatest is George St. Pierre. Mm-hmm. He's from Montreal, actually. And he was saying, the days that you don't want to go to the gym, uh, you don't want to go to train, those are the most important days. And maybe you're not going to get as much from the actual training, but it's what you get is from your mindset, mm-hmm. that you know you can push through it, that you took yourself there, and then you worked out because you knew you had to. He says, those are the days that really make or break you. Because if you only do things when you feel like it, very rarely you're going to get anything done. Part of it is just building it into a routine, creating the habit, and having the resilience to push through the resistance. Resistance. Um, So we'll have a link to everything in the show notes, but we have... um, yeah, you, when you first introduced the concept of of, of learning, you said you said we can, you know, we can learn, we can improve, we can master. And uh, uh, you break down into three easy steps. That happens to be the title of your book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, talk a little bit about how how that came about, and 
and what people can expect to to take from it. Sure. And it is the same idea. And the reason is the title of the book is just because that was a natural progression. Mm-hmm. So now I was asking myself the question of like, why would what would this book call itself? It, it made sense that, that as I'm trying to organize all the material, it all came in those three categories. So that's what kind of created the organization of the book and it just ended up being the title. But the book came about for what I was explaining before that I was very obsessed with learning, but it was, it was difficult and sometimes frustrating going from knowledge into skill. And I started researching as much as I could on the subject. And my idea was to create a manual, like a guide for learning for the rest of my life. So I could apply it to everything I wanted to learn because it was taking me too long to learn anything. And I figured I'm going to have to either let a lot of this thing go or become a better learner so I can learn more things. And I chose the latter. So started researching as much as I could. And halfway through, I thought if I'm doing all this work, I might as well just solve it for other people because I'm sure I'm not the only one. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to turn this into a formal book. But had I known the amount of work that was ahead of me. I, I don't think I would have done it. <laughs> the book exists because I was so ignorant about the process of writing the book and because I was so passionate about the subject. Otherwise, you don't have the stamina or just... The- yeah, that's a, you know, Tim Ferriss says um, you know, the only time you should ever write a book is if it's easier to write it than to not write it. You know, if, it's, if it's too hard to not write it. Exactly, exactly. Um, and that was my reason for it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was difficult. It was very painful. And it, just a funny story. So I would go to your local Starbucks to write every day. And one day I go there and the person with the cash is like, well, today the coffee is free. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, yes, the manager saw that you were very angry or very mad about something or frustrated. So like we figured we did something wrong to your coffee and this one is free. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the coffee. I just come here every day. I open my screen and I suffer. (laughs) 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 But I can only imagine them looking at me and think like, that guy is so mad. Like, what did we do wrong? And it it was, no, it's just writing. It's difficult. (laughs) It's a struggle. But funny enough, throughout the process, I fell in love with the craft because I've never loved hating something so much. Like every day I was struggling with it. It's like, I hate this thing and I hate my writing and I hate myself. I hate this book. And then it's like, that was good. That was better. Wait, now I'm making it better. And now I'm making it better. So there is something about it. I think we all need some kind of um, self-inflicted pain. And I don't do any vices. I don't do drugs. I don't do alcohol. So to me, I guess it's that. I, I just need some sort of struggle that makes, gives sense to things, you know? And there's a lot of philosophy behind that. And there's Nietzsche talking about the struggle and how it does give meaning to life. And that despite things being hard, there is beauty in life. And part of the beauty comes from being difficult and having to challenge ourselves. And I resonate with that. And I think writing is the perfect example. <laughs> um, so you mentioned... You mentioned flow briefly, and um, you had checked some Ehi's work on um, you know, finding the right amount of challenge and the right amount of time. You spend a lot of time. Um, you spend a lot of time writing. You spend a lot of time working out. Um, is, is flow a, a goal for you in these things? Does that help with the? Does that help? Uh, accelerate you know, learning and the things that, that you'd try to do in your life. For sure. Part of it is just focus. So some mm-hmm. of the condition of flow is you're not having any distractions. You're fully engaged in, in what you're doing. And it does definitely help in, in, in any type of learning and any type of creative process as well. I don't think you can be creative either doing a painting or, or writing a short story, for example, and then checking your phone at the same time. It's just, it's not there. It's not the same result. So yes, although flow is mostly a condition for peak performance, so there is a difference between practice and performance. Right. When you're practicing, you're trying to develop the skill. And then when you're performing, you're just executing what you know to the best of your ability. And that last part, to the best of your ability, 
that's where flow comes in. If you're judging yourself, judging what you've done or thinking about what comes next, then it takes you out of the present moment and you can't perform to the best of your skill. So I don't talk too much about peak performance and flow because that comes later in the process. I talk about how you develop their skills and become really good at them, even master them. But you could take a master at something and maybe they're competing and they're not in flow and they just gave a horrible performance. They're still masters at their craft. It's just that they couldn't access their peak performance. They couldn't get into flow. So that's different. And that has to do a lot with the sports psychology. Um, it is a different subject. I mostly talk about the learning part, although we, you would also get into a flow state when you're learning. But it's different when you talk about flow from performing and flow mm -hmm. for practice. For practice. Um, how about... Um can you talk a little bit about focus work? I mean, you just mentioned focus. Mm -hmm. you know, we hear you know, the, the, the one thing that everybody pulled out of Malcolm Gladwell's outliers was 10,000 hours of practice. But what people didn't hear was you know, the, the original work cited, which I think was Danny Kahneman's. Um, it was, was uh, Kay Anders Erickson. It was, you're right, um, Erickson. Uh, it's 10,000 10, hours of focused practice and mm -hmm. and that focus is so important you know you can't like you said you can't be checking your phone you can't be you, 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 if you're practicing it you can't you can't noodle you can't you know you, you you can't just you know play those 15 songs that you've already learned and call that you know part of your focused work you you've got to you, you've got to take that focus and move things forward how do you um how do you how do you find that and and what's the importance of that sure let's talk about that that's uh that's a great subject so let's break it down the original study by k andrews erickson was done on a group of musicians um violinists to be precise and what he found is that on average they had practiced about ten thousand hours by the time they were 20 21 years old something like that they were not masters of their craft yet, but they were on the right path. And so a couple of things there. First of all, it wasn't done across skills. It was just one skill. It was music mm -hmm. and playing violin. Um, second, it did not intend on setting a mastery timeline. It's just that on average, these people had spent that amount of time. But it doesn't mean it takes 10,000 hours to master anything. It, it could be less for certain skills. It could be more. Or it could be less for certain people, more for others. Um, and what he wanted to focus on is that regardless of talent, and even the people that we think are very talented, everyone has to put a lot of practice to develop their skills. So the, um, the conclusions of the study was talent doesn't play that big of a role. Delivery practice is what, takes, what can take us really far. And then that study was taken by some uh, prominent authors and just distorted it into a marketable right. idea of 10,000 hours <laughs> to master anything. That's not true in, in any way. There's a big misrepresentation of some serious study. The other part, um, more to your question, of the type of practice. So that's what uh, Erickson calls deliberate practice, which is different from repetition. And there are different right. uh, conditions that need to be met. So one is it needs to be delivered. So you need to be focused and completely concentrate on what you're doing. Um, another one is you're following proven guidelines to study. So in music, we have hundreds of years of collective wisdom of how to teach and learn an instrument. So if you want to do it on your own, it's going to take you way more. But if you have someone teaching you those, those techniques and the process, then okay, that falls into deliberate practice. Another one is you need to plan the practice as in I know what I'm going to be working on today and what I want to improve instead of, oh, I'm just going to pick up the guitar, or pick up the violin and just wing it. Then the other part is you're pushing yourself. You're trying to come out of your comfort zone. So there are different requirements for practice to be called deliberate practice. And the idea of the 10,000 hour is not a rule, is <laughs> not a standard. It was just what he found. These musicians had been practicing regardless of talent by the time they were 21, implying that Talent has little to do with expert performance. Right. Talent has more to do with, hey, I'm good at this. Maybe I'll enjoy getting better at it. The thing is, um, 
And that's a long discussion. That maybe it make it maybe it makes it more fun for you because you have a particular talent for it, and so yeah. so you're more likely to want to put the time in. Mm-hmm. There are different things about talent, and I'm glad to talk about it. If you want to mm-hmm. extend yeah. that subject, sure. absolutely. So, a um, couple of things. One is, for example, you're young, you're a kid, and then you join maybe a music class or some sports team, and then someone tells you you have talent for it. That makes it more likely you're going to keep practicing than if someone said you're horrible at this. Right. A few people have the resilience of saying, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. But for the most part, it'll be like, oh, I guess I'm not good at this. And this person must know what it's talking about. And this could be like a couple of weeks in. I mean, learning can take 10 years. Like becoming really good at a craft could take five years, 10 years. I don't know. And then someone's pretending that they know if you have talent for it or not within a month or within two weeks. So it's sad that part of the problem is, is coaches and teachers that judge their students from the beginning and learning is a long-term process. A fast or slow start doesn't determine how far we're going to go. And quoting Hemingway again, he would say like, sometimes your talent will show up after years and years of working at, at writing and you don't know. So you, you have to go through it. The other part that is even more sad, and I've seen it training in different schools, different parts of the world uh, for martial arts that the teachers, whoever they assume has talent, that's who they're going to dedicate more of their time to. So now they get better coaching, which is another reason why they become better. Yeah. Like, of course, now if the coach is dedicated to you, he believes you have talent. He's telling you you have talent. Now you believe it as well. So you have better coaching, better mental support, like better just support from your coaches and your teammates. So all these things start adding up. And then in the end, those are the ones that stay. And you say, well, of course, he showed talent from the beginning. No, it was nurtured. It was supported by your coaches. You got better coaching. Um, same with your parents. So the idea is we, we need to distrust how quickly or how slowly we get things at, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because be very slow at learning the first few things, but then you speed up as your mind gets it. Uh, but that's one of the problems. And that's something else that comes into the discussion of talent, which I don't think many people talk about, but is a reality. I'm sure I'm talented at something. What? Jack, oh. look, look, Josh is, Jack, Josh is, looks like he's going <laughs> to, wants to argue with me about that, doesn't it? <clears throat> well, I, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to tell you that here's the other thing about, about talent, that it doesn't play that big of a role. And we can think about it as the mental equivalent of whatever being tall for basketball is. Mm-hmm. So we do, we most likely have certain things for which we're more adept to and we can mm-hmm. improve faster or whatever, but it doesn't play that big of a role. And if you, and here's the other part, people are obsessed with the best. So like, oh, if I cannot be the best at this, then why even bother? Like to become the best, you need a combination of luck, genes, and a lot of hard work. If you want to be among the best, now you need a little less luck, a little less talent, same amount of hard work. <laughs> now, if your goal is to be your best, best you can possibly be, you don't need any luck. You don't need any genes. You just need the hard work. And why is it not noble enough to try to be your absolute best instead of, oh, if I cannot make the league, if I cannot be on the top, whatever, then I don't want to do it. If mm-hmm. I don't have the physical attributes to be there then why do it well maybe because just being your best is enough and that should be satisfying yeah now that is i i have seen a lot of people in a lot of turmoil because they can't be the best and you know really it's like sports sports competitions you have all these games for years and years and years and years, and you come down to the, what was it going to be? The Super Bowl, the last two teams who were there. And people give a lot of, oh, let's call it worship. (laughs) To the team that actually wins that contest. But the fact that you were able to be on that field with that other team, and that victory may have been, Purely because, I don't know, you ran out of time, the last guy got tripped before you threw that award-winning pass or whatever, the fact that you are still on that field is a testament 
because best can change in the blink of an eye when you when you measure it in those terms. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And that's when we need to look at separate the outcome from the process. Is did I play my best? Is different from did I win? And results do matter. I'm not trying to say, well, uh, it doesn't matter if you keep losing all the time. Well, results shows us if we're they're doing something right or not, but they're not the absolute measure. Sometimes it's luck and the other team won. Like as you said, someone trips or you run out of time. So you need to separate process from outcomes. Is did I play my best? Yes. Okay, then that's good. Am I getting better? Then you're on the right track. Whether you won or lost, then that's something else. And sometimes, especially when you're learning something at the beginning, if you keep winning all the time, you're not playing strong enough people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that, and that is its own problem. Yeah. Um, how do you pick, you know, and when I say you, um, how do you suggest people pick the things that they um, go about learning. I mean, you know, obviously if you have to learn something, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you, you had to learn French to move to a, a new country, you, you know, English, uh, I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure there are almost as many English speakers in Montreal as are French speakers, mm-hmm. possibly more. And, and it's more of a lingua franca. You can travel to Japan with English and not need to know that much Japanese, but um, probably do better there with English than with French or Spanish. <laughs> guessing. Um, yes, for sure. So, so you had to learn your languages. Um, how do you pick the things you want to learn? Yes, I think that the question could also be the same idea of how do I choose? How do I find my passion? Sure. And in a way, I don't think we find a passion. I think we develop a passion. So it's kind of a combination, and we can put it in the analogy of being attracted to someone. So you see someone you like physically, like, well, I'm attracted to this person, but then developing love is something different. Mm -hmm. And it could be dependent or independent from attraction. So I think sometimes we have attraction from different skills, but then the love for them and turning them into a passion needs to be developed. You need to spend the time with that skill. And after a while, you find if that's really something. I don't think that the love of first sight with a passion just, just happens that way. We just have different interests and then we have to try them out to see them for what they are. So an example, I took on flying lessons because I thought flying a plane was going to give me that sense of freedom. It's like you're in the air and you can do whatever you want. No, not at all. It's like attentive planning, following space, airspace regulations, uh, all these different things. You just stressed out uh, and you can't really do whatever you wanted. So that wasn't what I was looking for. So sometimes we need to try out the skills and see them for what they are, not what they want them not what we want them to be. And on the opposite side, I never thought I would like surfing. I almost drawn twice as a kid. So let's call it an acquired respect for water. Uh, so surfing didn't seem like a good idea. And one time I tried it and I thought it was just like taking waves and riding waves and riding waves. No, you're there in the water, just chilling for a while, waiting for the next one. So you're just appreciating nature and, and having a good time. And then you feel the wave coming and then you take it. And this is the thrill. So there's all these components that I didn't know were part of the sport. So sometimes we just need to try it and spend time with those skills. And we'll find that some are not for us, but that's the only way we need to try it. Say that as with finding a partner, you find different people that you're attracted to, but then you need to spend time with them, start developing a relationship to see if it's going to work for you or not. So where do you, you know, where do you start? How do you... Um... Uh, I, I'm uh, like I know what I'm getting at, but I, I need a minute to to formulate the question. Um, Go ahead. You've got a bunch of things that maybe seem, and some of them seem very interesting to you, some of them not so interesting. You, you, there's a whole whole spectrum of stuff out there, mm-hmm. right? So you thought flying a plane might be awesome. You had no interest in surfing. Mm. how do you decide which things to try for me personally sometimes i just get that idea in my head the the flying a plane was i I was sitting in a cafe with a friend and a plane was passing by and she said must feel really good to fly a plane and i thought yeah 
yeah. And then next week I sign up for flying lessons. It's just <laughs> sometimes it's just following a rabbit hole, you know. And there is there is this idea that I had, and then I also saw that some uh, my favorite author talked about it. Sometimes you just look at your childhood and you see the things that you enjoyed doing when you were a kid, and those are a a, a pretty good compass to knowing what you would like to do again. So when I, I started falling in love with writing, I was writing, working on this book. And then I started looking through all my notes and all the things I've written on my life. And there are hundreds and hundreds of pages. And how come I never saw that I enjoy writing so much? To me, it was just never an option. It, it didn't seem like a path that I wanted to take, but I had been doing it and being engaged with it forever. Like, wow, how come I didn't see that happening? So sometimes we we have these things that we enjoy doing as kids. And then because we take on borrowed dreams and try to have whatever society considers success, then we forget those and we go after something else. If you take a moment and think, what is it that I enjoyed when I was a kid? That That's a good uh, point to start. I'm there talking. That's what I used to enjoy doing <laughs> as a kid. Just, yeah. just running my mouth. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Perfect fit. Yeah, I, I find that uh, a lot of the stuff that I like doing, uh, nothing too, I used to play piano, I used to play drums. I enjoyed both of those um, at the time. I, I don't know that I want to go back and do that now, but you know, I had fun when I was doing it. The stuff I do now has to do more with making people smile or making people feel better about just being on a planet because some days on this planet <laughs> can be pretty tasty. Pretty true. So I like, uh, you know, several years ago, me and the self-image got together. You know, a little psycho cybernetics and, and oh, I love that book and and wonderful stuff. And it's like, and then I noticed there are so many people who have no self-image. Well, I'm sorry, that's, that's not true. They have something, but it's bad I and mean, it's it's horrible. And a lot of it is really, you know, not justified just because somebody told them something. And so I set on kind of a path to just help people feel better about themselves. And it didn't start out as a, a job. It just started out as me wanting to make somebody feel better. And then, awesome. you know, we, we, we get, we get to the other end of it now. So unfortunately I need to develop a love of the money of making people feel better. Instead of just making people feel better, I charge more, <laughs> you know, but that's, but that's kind of, that's kind of my thing. And it's kind of what I'm known for as far as skills go. I like talking. That's the same thing, only different, right? Yeah. So if, if I was going to be all I wanted to be, I would be on the stage somewhere with a couple of thousand people in the audience laughing at my jokes and just having a good a good time and, and not throwing food substances, right? Yes. That's and that my, is a skill in itself. Big pardon? That's a skill in itself, talking. And it doesn't have to be seen as uh, some job or thing you have to do is if you enjoy talking then there are things that you can learn to improve it is whether it be body language writing speeches uh, all these different mm -hmm. things so yeah. you fall in love with a craft you find something that you enjoy and you just go deeper and deeper into it and you do it for mm -hmm. its own love not because it's a drag something that you have to do yeah no it's just me i just i kind of wake up talking well <laughs> maybe not anymore <laughs> so yeah but your your book, I mean, Learn, Improve, Master. Um, improve is easy. Uh, learning in the first place, though, is can be very testy because testy is the wrong word. But uh, you know, like Josh was saying, like, where do you you know figure that out? So, one day you can just sit back and fall, think you fall in love with something, but other times you need to um, develop something. So in that development process, I mean, is there anything that you just sort of kind of hated um, that you decided I need not to hate that? And now you're, you're excellent at it because I don't know, maybe you found a different purpose than what you were first at or learned it did good for some 
somebody or e- even you that you just said, you know what, this is something I can really do. And I know you talked about the languages and, and stuff, but overall, like, what did you want to do most when you were a kid? Well, you're talking about writing the stuff you've written, but what, what else did you want to do? And are you doing those things? Uh, my dream as a teenager was to be a rock star. I just wanted to play guitar and nothing else. And I even went to music school. And the thing is, at music school and seeing all these great musicians over there, and many of them were teaching music for a living. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be on stage. And I thought, well, if this doesn't work, work out the way I want it to, then what's going to happen with my life? And at that point, I decided I'm going to try to take care of my finances and build something solid so then I can play guitar because I love it, not because I have to. So I'm going to connect both your questions. So mm-hmm. something that I loved at the beginning and then something that I didn't like as much later. So I felt like I needed to go into finance or into business so I could create that financial freedom that would allow me to pursue my passions without worrying about money. And that was never something that I had a passion for. I wouldn't say I hated it because I think anything we can learn, there's something fascinating about it. And if you don't find it fascinating, you probably didn't have a good teacher for it. Because even mm-hmm. for me, I remember I didn't like accounting in university. And then when I built my own company, it's like, this is fascinating. Like <laughs> how, they, how they came up with this thing. This is so good. Um, and then I enjoyed it and learning to do tax planning and all those things, which I, I thought it was very annoying when I was studying it on the abstract. So sometimes it's just finding that application in your own life when you see the magic that it has. So to me, every subject has its own magic. There is a way to find pleasure in whatever you're learning. But I didn't have a passion for it. I didn't want to study business. I felt like it was something that I needed to do a means to an end so I could play guitar. And I went into real estate. So I thought it was the easiest, fastest way to make money. And real estate kept showing up. <laughs> Most wealthy people have either made their wealth in real estate or they keep it in real estate. So I thought, I guess it's real estate, but I had no passion for real estate right. and I learned it and I became good at it. And to this day, I think I'm good at it. I do a good job, but, but it's not something I necessarily enjoy. It was just a, a means to an end. So sometimes we do need to learn things because we have to. And sometimes we want to learn because we love, we love the subject itself. So what I focus on the most is on the parts that we want to learn those passions, those maybe frustrated dreams, that person that maybe always wanted to be a writer and is working in an accounting department and thinking, I want to be a writer, but how do I do it? How do I develop that skill? So that's kind of the people that I want to get to, someone that has a hobby that they want to make a companion in their lives or turn it into a profession. So uh, we seem to be winding up to that point where where I asked the question everybody hates and that's, Hey, was there anything you wanted to talk about that we haven't uh, started to touch on? <laughs> well, I'm happy to talk about anything. It doesn't just have to be learning or mastering skills. So I'm, I'm fascinated by philosophy and just pretty much any subject. So if you guys have something in mind that you might be discussing over the last few shows, then I'm down for it. We tend to make things up as we go along, but uh, you know, you did say something about you know, we were talking about go back to what you um, enjoyed as a child. And I think it was, you know, just episode two of this podcast, you know, four years ago um, that, you know, the, the title was something like be more childlike. And, you know, that, that wasn't um, meant to be, uh, you know, go run around uh, crying and breaking stuff. It was, <laughs> you know, explore your curiosity and, you know, maybe, maybe go, Maybe go play in the dirt a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have any um, Do you have any tips for exploring curiosity? Because I, I think that really is what um, you know kind of can start you down the different paths to learning as well. Um, you know, picking picking the things to learn because you get curious about something. Um, and the other thing I want to um, ask you about uh, is going to be decision making. That that way, if I forget to bring it up. Um, like the way you said, Hey, I wonder what it's like to fly a plane. And then you decide to go sign up, you know, Mm -hmm. people are petrified of actually making a decision to 
to start. Yes. I think uh, the answer that ties up with both questions is we are too distracted. We're distracted by the things we think we need to do, by all the busyness that we add to our lives. So just we feel we're productive. And that's what tones down a lot of creativity, a lot of the playful attitude. I find that when work slows down for me, I immediately turn very creative and I start writing more. I start studying more. And it's just a matter of lowering all that stress and all that rush. So for for both questions, I think is this slowing down a little bit. And in a way, everything that we're going through, as horrible as it is, it forced everyone to slow down. And maybe in that simplifying of life, having to stay in and having to pay more attention to the things we do, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, there's been a lot of reflection for many people of how do I really want to live my life? But sometimes we don't ask those questions because we're so much in the rush of every day. And I think that's what's necessary to stop for a moment, slow down. And, and the answers come up. If you had, imagine that you had a vacation where you don't need to do anything. You don't have to work. You don't have to worry about money. How many things, how many subjects would you develop interest for? Because now your mind is uncluttered. So you might be watching a TV show like, hey, that's cool. I want to learn that. You have the time, you're not stressed, you don't feel like you should be putting your energy into something else. So a lot of it is just that slowing down and, and not being on, on that rush of every day that opens up possibilities for other things. How do you um, take that reflection, you look at it and say, wow, I've really spent a lot of time and energy lately doing stuff that isn't important. And, uh, you know, that's doom scrolling Twitter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how do you take that reflection and go, oh, I've been really bad at this. Um, you know, we've seen suicide rates go up during COVID, um, yes. at least here in the U.S. I don't know how it is in Canada. I think everywhere, um, yes. Um, you know, how do you take that reflection and turn it into something positive rather than um, getting further down on yourself? I think for me, uh, some of the hobbies that I do, they force me to be more present and to slow everything down, especially mm-hmm. reading. I try to read every day. I feel like that time where I need to sit down in quietness with an author, just hearing all the ideas, seeing a different perspective, that takes me out of my own life, to put it that way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need to step outside of your own self, and that gives you the perspective to start analyzing again. So people have been dealing with the same problems we deal with forever, and some of them spend decades studying and trying to figure ways to live a better life. So we can shorten the curve and learning from them, like studying the Stoics and um, different philosophers. It's like these people spend their lives trying to think how to live a better life. So then you spend some time in a conversation with them through their writing. And I think that helps put things in perspective. The fact that we are all locked up, for me, it, it made me think about how I was spending my money, just in a way because I wasn't spending that much. That wasn't going to, and then for a moment you stop and you say, did I really need to buy all those clothes or buy all these things? Was that mm-hmm. necessary? So just sometimes being alone and being locked up, it forces you inward, which for many people, it is very depressing. So the, the, the pandemic has not been the same for everyone. For me, I feel good. I, I don't really need to go outside. I do all my work from home. My life hasn't changed dramatically, but for others who are very social, it's been really tough. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to give a prescription for that because we all need to face ourselves at one point. And for some people, it just makes them depressed. For others, it gives that sense of, uh, I'm going to change. I need to do better. Strangely enough, I read this, uh, this article where suicide in Japan had dropped. <laughs> so it seems like it's going up everywhere else. But in Japan, it 
it decreased and they have one of the highest suicide rates in the world and they have so much suicide because they live such a stressful life overworked they have so much pressure mm -hmm. from society and i think that the pressure when it came down because of the virus that's what slowed down the rates that's my perspective i don't know if that's yeah. actually true but the rates Makes did some low. sense yeah mm -hmm. so i think it's mostly for uh, i don't know why in north america has gone up so much and that isolation and that uncertainty it's many things and part of it at this point we're going a little bit outside of the discussion but the fact that we don't know what's coming is that projection into the future that sometimes creates so much anxiety i think in the japanese culture they're used to so many so much destruction uh, like tokyo has been rebuilt some five times or something and they live with constant earthquakes and all these different things. And to them, it's just like, oh, it's something else that's coming. <laughs> but when you're being shielded and few things that are very impactful happen, like, uh, like it wasn't with 9-11 and mm -hmm. when it is right now with the pandemic, those hit so hard because there are events that don't happen very often. So you, we have not been feeling all that stress and all that trouble consistently. So it's harder to learn to deal with it. In, in South America, this, this was just a funny side, but I remember reading a meme that said like, how is South America dealing with this virus so quickly? It's like, that is our secret. We're always in crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the Hulk line of like, I'm always angry. So like, we're always in crisis. And that's why this is just something else. <laughs> but it's harder when few really bad things happen to you and suddenly they come into your life when you haven't been building that, that resilience and suddenly you're you're facing one that is way beyond your capacity to deal with because it's too big and you had not been preparing for that so in a way challenges they make us stronger and if you never had any challenge if you've lived in in a society where things were kind of in a way easy for you um i mean the U.S. and here in Canada, they're good societies, good governmental programs compared to most of the world. And then suddenly you're in this position where you don't have a job, you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know if you're going to be able to sustain yourself and your family. That's a lot of stress. And then at the same time, you need to be locked up. It's too much. Mm -hmm. It's too much at the same time. And you were not prepared for it. I wasn't. For me, it is different. Like I'm always at home. So life didn't change that much, but I can't judge everyone else for the way right. I did. Right. Everyone treats it differently. I understand for some people it's really, really tough. People that are very social, having a horrible time. I feel bad for them. It's really sad. Uh, I kind of took it to a dark place there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. What are what are maybe three of your favorite books you've read during during lockdown? I don't know. Yes, I've I've read plenty. Um, some of my favorites were "Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman." Mm -hmm. So the story of that this uh, famous scientist uh, that was mm -hmm. very good. I read "When Breath Becomes Air." That's uh, that's the story of a neurosurgeon, I believe, that uh, he gets terminal cancer. And he had been the doctor treating people with those kinds of cancers. And suddenly he's faced with the same disease himself. And it's just his process over, I think it's two years or so. And it's just very raw. I, I had this experience reading the book that I've never had before. You know how you sometimes just burst out laughing? I had never burst out crying. Like it came out of nowhere, mm -hmm. you know, because usually you feel it coming. Like you're feeling sad and then, okay, here it comes. And this one is just, it just came out. Um, it, it breaks your heart, but it's a beautiful book and it reminds us of the beauty of life and how lucky we are that we get to live it. Um, pandemic or no pandemic, we're still here and we have our families, we have loved ones, we have a lot to live for. So that one was another one I really like. Uh, third one, Ikigai. So Ikigai is a Japanese word for a reason to leave. So one of the ideas of why the Japanese live such a long life is because they have this combination of a purpose and a passion and doing that work. So it's finding something that you want to live for, really. And to counter all the negative space where we went to, to, to finish that conversation on a good note, 
and ties up with ties up with ikigai is we could find a hobby we could find something we enjoy and that would be one of the ways of dealing with the difficulty of this pandemic and having to be locked up or hobbies can become our companions they can be um, something that provides so much joy to our lives i don't know what i would do without playing guitar and writing and all my different hobbies they shine light through the darkness that insists on looming over me so through this conversation probably evident that yes I, I deal with a lot of sadness and a lot of depression in my life it's always been that way mm-hmm. and i think the hobbies always keep me sane and they keep me uh enjoying life in a way so exercising reading writing and my message would be for someone that is having a really difficult time with the pandemic and being stuck at home is to just finding something that interests you and just start learning it and there is there is great results from taking on a new skill, taking on more knowledge. I can't find anything that is more gratifying than that in learning to our lives. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us and and, uh, being very generous with your time. We've had you for a little over an hour now. Um, Oh, that went fast. Where do you, yeah. Where (laughs) do you, um, where do you um, hang out online? Where can people find you? I think the easiest is my blog. It's uh, unlimitedmastery.com. And over there is all the social media links and the links to the book and everything else. So that's probably the easiest, unlimitedmastery.com. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you, and thank you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Have Take a good care. weekend. Bye-bye. Human Hood Production.